Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we cover the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. I'm Eric Russell, and I'm here with Jocelyn Greshik, who is part of our team of reporters in Walterboro covering the Alec Murdoch trial. Jocelyn, you guys have heard testimony today from more law enforcement officials and digital experts who analyzed cell phone data seized after Maggie and Paul Murdoch were killed. Can you give us an overview of what the jurors learned from that testimony today? So testimony today can largely be divided between defense attorney Jim Griffin's cross-examination of state law enforcement division agent Jeff Croft, and then everything we learned from those digital experts you mentioned. Okay, and walk us through what Griffin's cross-examination of agent Croft looked like. Yeah, Griffin was on a roll this morning. He began by asking Agent Croft about the various types of ammunition investigators seized from Moselle, which is the Murdoch family's hunting property. And they recovered a lot of shell casings from a 300 blackout rifle, which is the weapon believed to have killed Maggie. But Agent Croft said they never found the exact type of ammunition used to kill Paul, which was a 12-gauge steel shotgun shell specifically used for hunting waterfowl. So the Murdochs didn't keep that waterfowl ammunition anywhere on Moselle? Well, Agent Croft said investigators never found it, and they searched the property several times over a couple months um, after the killings. Okay, that's interesting. We heard a bit today about a supposed confession from Alec during an interview three days after the murders. Did Griffin talk to Agent Croft about that? Yeah, so that was the other big moment from his cross-examination. Yesterday, when prosecutors played that interview, Agent Croft testified he heard Alex say, I did him so bad when he was talking about the extent of Paul's injuries. And Griffin played that clip three times for Agent Croft this morning, including at a reduced speed. The defense attorney asked whether Alec might have said they did him so bad but Agent Croft held true to his initial testimony from yesterday, which was that he heard Alex say, I did him so bad. All right, let's, let's play it. Please, Doug. Exhibit uh, 243 and evidence. He is, is tough. <laughs> it's just so bad. I did it so bad. <laughs> All right. Back it up and play it in real time again, Doug. Real time. Are not not easy. I know it's hard. Um, and sitting here talking today is is tough. It's just so bad. I did it so bad. Did you hear now? They or I? I will still testify that my hearing. I hear I. Your Honor, we'd like to play it again at one-third speed to slow it down. It's just the same. Thank you. one-third speed. There's been no foundation laid for who's manipulating it, how it's being manipulated. 
think uh, obviously we have it in real time, but there would have to be some additional foundation. One third speed. Sir, I did not. Okay. You would agree the jury gets to decide what he what he said on that tape. That's the best evidence. The I agree that they get to hear the tape and make their own mind up as to what he said. Yes, sir. Thank you. That's all I have on that. So I'm curious if Agent Croft thought Alex confessed that night, uh, wouldn't he have said something about it? Well, that's what Griffin asked him on the stand. And Agent Croft said that he only made a mental note of it and that investigators didn't have enough information at that point to challenge Alec on his statements. But he also said that when SLED agents conducted a third interview with Alec in August 2021, they didn't bring up the supposed confession then either. Did you take notes? I, I was writing specific you, stuff. You now. mentioned you made a mental note. <clears throat> this what you heard or misheard I did him so bad but did you make a written note of him saying that I don't recall if I wrote it or not sir so it's possible that you're sitting there with a guy who's now been charged with murder on June 10th in the interview the father the only one in the circle and he says I did him so bad and you can't tell the jury you even wrote it down on a piece of paper I don't recall if I actually made a physical note of it or not sir so you guys heard from a few experts as well. What did you learn from these digital experts? So we heard first from an analyst with Verizon who had search warrants for the cell phone records of several people, including Alec Paul, Maggie, and Buster Murdoch. We didn't really learn much from him, however. The most interesting information came from a guy named Lieutenant Britt Dove, who works in SLED's Computer Crime Center. And the judge qualified him as an expert in cell phone forensics, and he analyzed the phones belonging to Alex, Maggie, and Paul Murdoch. Okay, and what did he find on those phones? So we only heard him talk about Maggie's phone because court actually ended in the middle of his testimony. So we'll get started up with that again tomorrow. But today he went over her text history from the day of the murders. And we learned that she was on a text thread with Alec and several of their extended family members discussing Alec's dad, who was in the hospital that day. So Maggie's brother-in-law sent the group a text at 8.31, the night of June 7th, which Maggie read within 16 seconds of receiving it. Maggie's sister-in-law then sent a text within that same minute, but Maggie didn't read it until 8.49 that night. And investigators say her phone locks for a final time just a few seconds after that. And what did investigators say that meant or what did they infer from that? So they think that means Maggie didn't reply to another text or receive or make another phone call ever again. And prosecutors believe this 
also tells them about the time she would have been shot and killed. But Lieutenant Dove testified Maggie's phone continued moving even after it locked for that final time. And how how do they know that it continued moving? So Lieutenant Dove explained to the jurors something called orientation changes, which basically means timestamps of when the phone was recorded switching between landscape or being held sideways to portrait or being held straight up. And authorities have these times down to the second, so they're super precise, according to them. And Lieutenant Dove told jurors that after Maggie read the text from her sister-in-law and the phone was in portrait mode, she must have put it down by her side because it switched to landscape mode. And there's one moment Lieutenant Dove mentioned between 8.53 and 8.54 p.m. that her phone switches from portrait to landscape, then back to portrait again. Her phone's camera also flashes on for about one second, as if it's trying to recognize someone's face to unlock the phone, but it can't, according to Lieutenant Dove's testimony. The phone is recorded in portrait mode at 9.06 p.m. as if someone is lifting it up. And two seconds later, Ellick places a call to Maggie's phone. Six seconds after that, the phone is put back in landscape mode. And Ellick calls Maggie again about 35 seconds later. And what does that data mean? Well, we don't really know because, of course, the phone data doesn't record who might actually be holding the phone. But investigators seem quite certain it's someone other than Maggie and that these switches from portrait to landscape modes are man-made. And you said his uh, testimony was cut short by the end of the day. Is that how court ended? No. So we learned one more interesting thing from Lieutenant Dove before the judge sent everyone home. iPhones also record whenever we take steps and have the phone on us. And he said Maggie's phone recorded that 59 steps were taken in a two-minute period between 8.53 and 8.55, the night she was killed. And because of the previous time frame they gave us, we know that that wasn't Maggie? That's right, because investigators are concluding she was already dead. And we also know her phone was found the next day on June 8th on the side of Moselle Road, about a quarter to a half mile from the family's property. That's all we have for now. For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier. We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And please, also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. If you want to keep up to date on the trial, subscribe to Murdoch News, a premium newsletter from the Post and Courier, bringing you exclusive first-hand insight from local South Carolina reporters who have covered this saga from the beginning. Subscribe at postandcourier.com slash Murdoch News, and we'll bring you exclusive reporting on the civil and criminal cases of Alec Murdoch.